Talk and Power, your motorsport and motoring radio show. Now on 88.5 FM, the valley comes alive. And podcasting across iTunes and talkandpower.com.au. Okay, welcome to the Talk and Power podcast, episode 62. I'm here with Simon Gonzo Travellini. Todd Brinkworth and I'm Nick DeChambry. We're also transmitting through 88.5 FM where the valley comes alive. Thank you, Simon. How are you, mate? It's good to have you back. Mate, it's, it's good to be back after the uh, the one podcast suspension there. I took, uh, <laughs> I took a uh, guilty plea. A red card. Yeah, guilty plea. Avoided going in front of the tribunal. And got away with just one, one podcast. <laughs> So for those of you that don't listen to us every week, there was a bit of political uh, rhetoric a couple of episodes ago, and you know the tribunal had a look at it, and, and I, I didn't take the uh, the Ablett Geelong road. I, I sort of decided, yeah, fair enough, fair enough. Just take the one podcast suspension, and we'll move on. Fair that's, bump, play on. That's it. Yeah, that's right. it. Actually, speaking of the AFL. Mm. AFL and Formula One have got a lot in common at the moment. They do, yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah rules for some. Yeah. Rules I don't know if it's some. rules for some. It, it just seems as though they're taking the football out of football and the racing out of Formula One. They've certainly taken the racing out of Formula One. I wasn't going to start with this, but you brought it up. No, let's... no, no. Let's not start with it no. because I'd, I'd rather talk about something that's... Uh, that was exciting? There was, yeah, there was <laughs> definitely lots of racing, and that was the MotoGP. Probably best race of the year. I think it was the best race of the year. Almost probably better than probably any of the races last year as well. Best race of the season, Mm. definitely. Definitely. And just incredible to see how close the teams are. Um, You know, for a while there, they just could not get out of each other's way. It was just unbelievable. Mm. The the lead, uh, not so much the lead, the lead did change uh, a few times between and and when i say a few times i don't just mean between the leading riders between the manufacturers you know you had honda you had ducati you had suzuki in there they're all tussling for the Mm. for the lead but uh, it was incredible to watch that that group of of uh at one stage it was uh over 10 bikes Mm. that that you know were all lapping within hundreds of a second of each other yeah yeah a bit unfortunate for poor old uh uh the frenchman there uh don't ask me to say his name again. Yeah. <laughs> None of us can say his name properly. Quattorado. Quattorado, that's it. Yep. Um, he really struggles to get the bike off the line. He can have an incredible qualifying, but uh, that that launch, he's really, you know, I don't know if it's the, the, the launch control on the bike or uh, him personally or maybe their nerves, uh, but, uh, you know, that, that guy, he's so close to really shining. But, but every race, he seems to sort of have a bit of drama. Um, he did fight hard because he dropped back quite a few places on, mm. on the uh, first lap. Uh, and then he fought hard to get back up there. But be interesting to see how he goes in the next couple of races because he had a right forearm surgery on the Tuesday straight after the race. Yes. Which was, as a surgeon said, necessary, needed to happen. Yeah. So be interesting to see how he goes um, now, now what's the deal with uh, Jorge Lorenzo he got flown back to Japan yeah yeah well, someone's <laughs> back to Japan someone's back to Japan for Honda uh, is he where... gonna get a slap on the wrist no 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 <laughs> they've they've summoned him back to do further testing oh yeah on yeah. on what 
on him, <laughs> the bike, him, the bike, <laughs> all of the above, all of the above. Yeah, yeah, they need to get to the bottom of this because now it's gone beyond. Um, you know, it's gone beyond. You know, just a, a blip on the radar. This is now a problem. So the the other thing that um, this race really brought to everyone's attention is these tracks that have big long straights, the slipstreaming during qualifying. It can make the difference between first, second, and third, and, and the grid. Um, you know, Marquez really took advantage of that, and it was at the detriment of the Ducatis, unfortunately. Uh, it, it was great to see um, Petrucci. Yep. <laughs> Long pause. It was great to see Petrucci uh, win it. I yep. would have liked to have seen Davizioso mm. uh, win it, obviously, for the points. Um, but I think Dovi's still in there with a the chance. There's still a lot of races to go. Yeah. Uh, but definitely uh, Italian riding an Italian bike at the Italian Grand Prix, winning. Um, incredible result. Uh, first and third for Ducati. Awesome result. Uh, would have been an awesome party to be at. Mm. And uh, I believe that that was uh, Petrucci's home track. Yeah, it is, yeah. yeah. And that's his maiden victory in MotoGP. There you go. Congratulations. So, yeah, no, it was, yeah, that would have been a corker. <laughs> but he, it would. I think it was the style he wanted in as well. It would, that made it so special. He, he wasn't. He didn't let Marquez outmuscle him. Neither of them did really. Dovi and and um, Petrucci didn't let Marquez outmuscle him. No, no it, it. You know, it was. I was on the edge of the seat from the the warm up lap. Mm. You know what I mean? It was just incredible, and there was some serious bumping going on. Yeah. Now, this is the thing. It all played out, and it was a great race, great to watch, great result. Um, but you got to wonder, over the last few years that we've been covering the, the MotoGP, uh, you think back to when, you know, the incident happened with Rossi and they gave him, you know, all these um, penalties. Mm. Uh, where, where do you draw the line, Nick? You know, where do you say that was a racing incident and, it, you know, nothing to see, move on? Mm. Or... You know, you give them a stop go or a five second penalty or, or yeah. whatever. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, uh, it's a bit like the AFL now that the the tackle with uh, uh, Rioli. I think yeah, Willie Rioli. Yeah. Yeah. I, I didn't see that there was a problem there. I mean, you, you you've got to grab him so that he's holding the ball. That's that's the whole principle. Mm. Um, and and he he tackled him down. And I mean, he's not a very big guy. No, no he's <laughs> you the know? shortest in the team. I think. So and he's copped it now. Mm, yeah. and I, I didn't think that was fair, uh, but anyway, we'll move on. Yeah, it was. Um, look, as I said, great race. It was really good to see, not get out muscled. That's what I really enjoyed about this race, yes. not losing. We should probably just mention got Mark Greenham out there as well, winner of Targa Southwest. He's coming in after this shortly, so we'll be ca- catching up with him. So I need to put that yeah. in there as well. Sorry. No, no, that's fine. Uh, also, on a side note, uh, Davizioso uh, left a strong impression on his, his racing car debut after finishing 12th hey. in the, the DTM round uh, at uh, Misano. Yeah, so obviously there's a lot of synergy between the Ducati, well, Ducati's owned by Audi, so that's not nothing unusual there, but he's not the first guy to dip his toe into... Um, With his whistle? Yeah. <laughs> Something you were going to yeah. say. Yeah. <laughs> he's not the first guy to uh, have a crack at... Uh, racing on four wheels uh, Casey Stoner has, has done it in the past as playing well. Gardner yeah, yeah. and um, no, uh, and, and uh, Rossi races regularly in rally yeah yeah yeah, yeah. 
So um, that was really no, interesting. It's, it's good for it's his good. first shot out. Yeah, yeah. 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 Good it's, synergy um, as well there, Audi and what, what I've uh, I've spoken to a few uh, guys that have made the transition from two wheels to four wheels, and they, they always say that the hardest thing is braking late. Because mm. yep. uh, on, on four wheels, you, you know, apparently have more the ability to brake a lot later than you do it on two wheels mm. so um interesting. interesting very good very good winter nationals were running one on the weekend um look i don't really want to dwell on the bad stuff but i'm, I'm just gonna i'm gonna put it out there um we would we were touting the ovo um telecast no you were i was yeah and it, <laughs> i wasn't meets leading I, I, up I to this you are? Oh, who? I'm not having a go at Ovo. Ovo or, or, or anyone. Like Ovo. Yeah. Except it's not very clean. Oh, okay. That's a bit cold. <laughs> <laughs> it's more like coal power. Yeah, okay. <laughs> All right. Anyway, Ovo. Their fee went up to fourteen ninety nine for this event. From, now that gave from five ninety nine. Yeah. That's well look, all the politicians put their wages up. I so. saw that, but uh, admittedly they'll we'll get a ban. You, I'll get another yeah. <laughs> one podcast suspension. <laughs> yeah. Admittedly that you got thirty day subscription with that as well, so you could watch the race again for another thirty days and well, do you and, get stand with that as well? No, no, but what, Netflix well, I mean, what do you guys think? We went from six dollars and I was happy to pay the six dollars, but for fifteen dollars? It's a pretty significant step up. I look. I personally, myself, uh, I think that this is yep. <laughs> simply because the the Thunder Four Hundred guys, and you know, I was a Group One license holder when when all of this started. Mm. Right? They came out and they told everyone how they were going to do this and they were going to do that. And and under Andra, we had a TV show. Mm. Um, people you know complained about it but i've got to be honest with you right towards the end there it, it in my opinion it would rival any tv show that's been done for drag racing uh, mm. in this country anyway so um they have not delivered anything in fact drag racing is in a much worse place since they've been running group one than it ever has been um you know the the it's really sad that we've ended up in this place because the only people that suffer at the end of the day are the races. And um, I, I don't know how many people signed up to the OVO deal, uh, but uh, I would suspect that, you know, if if the trend that I'm seeing out there is anything to go by, then OVO's got to pull out sooner or later because they're going to lose money on this. And, and um, you know, there's so much division at the moment you know, IHRA, Andra, Thunder 400. We just need one governing body to oversee the whole lot, promote it, and, and do the whole lot. And that's what Mel Bully had in mind, that I'm still 100% behind the, the, the idea and the plan that he had. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't mind pay-per-view, uh, but, you know, this would have been a double whammy because one round of qualifying, big hitters didn't get to qualify, championships didn't get to be decided. And it was interesting that they made that call you know, because I've been, when, when I did the tour around Australia, you know, we got to race meetings and we had qualified and then they decided to put an, a special qualifying on the next morning, <laughs> you know. Yeah. So it's interesting that, that in this particular instance where classes uh, were still in contention, um, they decided not to, considering that the people that, you know, were sitting close to the top in points didn't qualify. 
So, yeah. Yeah. but anyway, look, we can't take away from from some of the great racing that that did happen. Uh, even though the numbers aren't really there to support the, you know, mm. what we would have expected, we would have expected to see fifties in Door Slammer. Yeah. Um, at this track, and considering the air and you, the usual track conditions, Steve Ham took out the the Pro Slammer mm-hmm. uh, title over Scott McLennan, uh, McLean. Yep. Now Scott, um, Steve's really got that car going, you know, fast. Now I'm not sure which transmission he was running, but they were, they were tossing between the four speed link on the five speed levity with the converter drive and lock up and, and so on and so forth and scott's got the latest and greatest that car uh, was built by um uh, darren mayer was all organized in the u.s put together over there and uh, i believe that mayer may have been the crew chief at this event they've certainly been working at it there's been a lot of money and a lot of time spent there uh, and so scott would be would be very happy to have have made the final and certainly steve ham you know that team's been going uh, great guns uh, seemingly taking tents off um, uh, Kelly made it all the way to the finals uh, which was the perfect outcome so it would have been the, the race for the championship there against Wayne Newby Re- uh, reminiscent of last year actually yeah, yeah. this time um, uh, Newby, yep. Newby got the, the win it was a big pedal fest for both cars mm. uh, pro alcohol Justin Walsh uh, and Gary Phillips Gary Phillips taking, I think it's his 20th title now. Yeah, it's crazy. 20th championship, yeah. incredible. And uh, pro stock, Brian uh, Purcell uh, took the win over Tyrone Tremaine. And mm. uh, I believe it was Tyrone, Tyrone took the, the, oh no, his brother. Aaron. Aaron, his yeah. brother yeah. took the championship. Yeah. And we also forgot to mention Paul Bohoyet. Uh, no, we, we just deliberately second. forgot to mention <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> But takes his second championship yeah, as two well. in a row for a pro Paul. slammer. So, job well done. And Wayne Newby wins his championship there, taking it off Kelly Betts. Yeah, yeah. But I tell you what, it was close for them. Yeah, close. Yeah, yeah, very close. Got down to the final race. And speaking of Kelly Betts, her father, Steve, is now the general manager of 400 Thunder. So, oh, really? interesting to see where Steve, Steve takes 400 Thunder. That's the Steve Betts. Mm-hmm. Oh. <laughs> father yep all right well look while we're here we'll take a break and we've got mark Graham just outside we'll get him in and we'll have a quick chat with mark regarding all things targa okay episode 62 of the talking power podcast and as promised we've got with us mark greenham Mark, thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me, guys. Winner, we should probably introduce you formally. Yeah, we should. Mark Graham, winner of Targa Southwest, and hopefully going to improve on that third spot at Targa West this year. Yeah, that would be nice, wouldn't it? I mean, Targa Southwest has been pretty good to us over the years. Um, I think I've won three of them now, but every time we uh, try and get that uh, the big one, the four-day event, uh, we have something that always pops up and works against us. But uh, we did have our best result last year, uh, coming third uh, with Steph, even though um, I think we dropped down to about ninth or tenth on the second, early in the second day and had to fight our way back. But um, no, hopefully, uh, if we, I think if we just have... Uh, a good smooth run at um, at uh, Targa West. Um, we'll be doing all right, but um, yeah, we'll we'll see if we can get there first. It's still, uh, I think it's what eleven weeks away now. I think. Oh, so I'm getting it down. Weeks. This man's yeah. counting it down. No, yeah. I'm not. <laughs> 
So, um, yeah, Mark, so Target South West, I mean, I saw a bit of you racing down there, um, and I believe you had to correct me on a mistake that I made about the the event. Oh, yeah, uh, yeah, we're driving a, an Evo 9, not uh, a 7, okay, yeah. but, yeah, it's close enough. I should take my, my shoes off to count as well, or was that the problem? So, yeah, um, but yeah, no, I saw you down there running around, and, um... There's a nice uh, Evo jumper you're wearing there as well. Maybe if you look down on the front of it, have got every evolution of Evo there, too. Yeah. Not that we can see it on the podcast, but uh, Todd's wearing those one of those uh, Mitsubishi Evo uh, hoodies. Living the fanboy dream, yeah, you know maybe. how it goes. <laughs> Probably costs more than the car. So, um, yeah, like the take us southwest, take us through the the highlight, highlights, the lowlights. You know, last day sort of drama because I saw you had it sort of mixed weekend. Yeah, well, it started out um, on a pretty. Um, uh, down note to be honest I mean we were lined up ready to go out uh, for SS1 that's Big Brook Dam where we start um, just sort of in the town of Pemberton you head up towards Big Brook it's a very tight twisty and technical little stage it's quite a baptism of fire to be honest for especially for new crews it's quite a, a complicated little course and unfortunately we had another competitor um, run off the road about five or six cars ahead of us um, so yeah you know, we're sitting there all sort of lined up ready to go and um, you know you see all the crew and that and all the officials do the, the do the sort of yeah kill the stage kind of thing and uh, all the um, ambulances and, and um, emergency crews sort of file out and uh, yeah that's uh, it's not a nice not a nice feeling um, and uh, yeah unfortunately it was, it was a big one uh, big uh, incident um, fortunately both uh, both the crew are recovering recovering well um, I've been uh, in contact with the driver and he's, he's doing well as, as best uh, can be expected he's already flipping through the Demon Tweaks catalogue uh, looking for <laughs> new car parts yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so um, I can relate to that um, yeah. But so, so yeah, that um, yeah, so uh, not a not a great way to start. So uh, in the end, uh, they they cancelled those first four stages on that tight and uh, twisty stage, and um, so it was straight out to the uh, Pemberton Northcliffe stage, which is a very, very, very quick tarmac rally stage. In fact, I'd say it's arguably probably the quickest in Australia, even with the 200 kilometer an hour uh, speed limit. So um, and it was nice and, and damp as well, which made it extra extra fun, extra exciting, extra um, yeah. I um, was definitely gripping the steering pretty hard those first couple of runs through, um, but um, yeah, it, it, it worked out. We just sort of eased ourselves into it into the uh, first couple of stages, um, and then sort of built up our pace from there. And um, yeah, it was going pretty good. That's good. So, and then I saw you sort of race that afternoon. You sort of just kept on the pace most of the afternoon, and then. I believe Sunday you ran into a few dramas, but you managed to hold them at bay and we'll take the weekend home. Yeah, that's right. I mean, the, the, so we were in a, a reasonably close fight with Will White early on in the piece, um, and um, we lost a little bit of time to him with the first couple and then made up a bit in the second couple. Will was also having uh, some technical dramas of his own uh, with his engine. Um, I think we equaled him on the fifth stage, but uh, then we found out that uh, Will got handed a whole bunch of speeding penalties. So I think he he does have a limiter on that car, but I'm not sure it was calibrated properly. They changed some gear ratios and that sort of thing, and that um, um, obviously that wasn't quite uh, didn't go quite to plan for him. Uh, and once we found out he had about 40 odd seconds of penalties, after that we just sort of yeah drove in kind of conservation mode. So you, you're not. I mean, you're not backing right off, obviously, but you're not taking any sort of unnecessary risks and you're just sort of looking at uh, the sorts of times that he's doing and just maintaining, make sure you maintain that gap uh, for the rest of the afternoon. 
uh, yeah, so that was the Saturday. Uh, and on the Sunday, um, we do seven stages. So we do four stages through the town of Pemberton and three up Pump Hill, which is just around the corner as well. It's a short little sprint stage. And they just, they run them one after another. So there's no service. Once you start on Sunday, you, that's it. You do seven stages in a row. There's very little time in between stages to do anything if anything goes wrong. And um, yeah, straight into the, I think it was the, the third stage. So that was the second run on, on um, Pemberton. We just hit a rough, rough patch of the road. So there are a couple of spots in, in the Pemberton down stage so they are a little bit rough and uh, we broke we didn't know it at the time but we broke the uh, right front strut so we had a big whack and the, the car was suddenly pointed in you know odd directions and crabbing up the road and wouldn't break and was scraping on the ground we didn't really know what was going on we knew all four wheels were still on the car and uh, so there's a bit of a panic after the end of the um, end of that stage and we all jumped out and had a bit of a look the race talk crew um, got underneath the car and said yeah look the strut's gone and I just look as will the wheel fall off and they said no <laughs> it was sort of like a 90 maybe 90 percent commitment but uh, just left a little bit of like room there um just in case uh something went wrong and um they said look you I, I think you'll be fine you're not losing that much time driving on it so just keep going and uh and we did unfortunately held together um so yeah yeah very very happy very relieved about that yeah. So just to, to reiterate there, so no service on the Sunday, no service between the stages? And no, see so with Tarmac, uh, in particular with Tarmac Rally, they are a little bit more relaxed in terms of what service crews can do on the cars um, between the stages, certainly not like a you know a World Rally Championship mm. event where they're very, very stringent about what, what you can and can't do on the cars and when you can and can't service them. But just with the amount of time between each stage, because you're literally rolling out of one, you're driving around the corner, you're straight into the next stage. You don't mm. take your helmet off. Yeah. So there's very little time to do anything if if there are any major issues. But there's certainly no there's no scheduled you know services, no 20 minute services, just nothing. So if anything goes wrong, that's it. Mm. Um, so yeah, it was just a matter of just it, as I said, it, as long as the wheel wasn't going to fall off the car, we just um, we just yeah kept pushing yeah, and, yeah, okay. and yeah. Congratulations again. Thank you. So, yeah, um, the uh, the car in question, the Evo Nine, the now got it right. Mm -hmm. So um, yeah, the history of the car. I mean, you know what what made you build an Evo Nine? Well, this particular car I didn't build. In fact, I've never built a car because I'm smarter than that. It's a lot cheaper to um, uh, to get a car that somebody else has put most of the hard work and effort into. Uh, this car we picked up a couple of years ago. I think it was um, uh, 2017 it was. Um, once upon a time, it was owned by, I think, uh, Brett Wilkinson. He had campaigned it in a couple of targets a bit earlier. I think he also he competed in some circuit racing stuff as well with that particular car. Uh, when I got it, um, the car was in a few different uh, pieces. The engine had been blown up, and um, and uh, so it needed a bit of work. Um, but yeah, I picked it up the car and took it up to the guys at Race Talk, and Race Talk did their thing, and uh, now it's the car that um, you, you know you see today. I mean, with um, you know Evo, in particular the Evo Nine in tarmac rally trim, and the way that the regulations are at the moment, most of the modifications are you know are pretty much safety related. There's very little that you can do with the engines. There's the obvious things. There's the exhaust and things like that. You can um, change internals on the the turbochargers, but the internals on the engine there's, there's basically nothing you can do from a performance perspective that makes any difference. So they really are very much a road car engine. So tuning wise, you're you're pretty free with that. You're free to run as much boost as you like but I mean we can't even run we, once upon a time we could run E85 fuel now we're on pump 98 um, so the car is um, 
it's I guess relatively cheap to run now, especially with not having you know the need of of E8, um, E85 now. It's nice to be able to just go up to the bowels and fill it up with mm. fuel. Um, because they don't make the same sort of torque and power that they probably did from a couple of years ago, uh, they tend to save. You know, we we go through less gearboxes and yeah. and and uh, diffs and drive shafts and, and those sorts of things. So it's not necessarily um, a bad thing. I think those rule changes, but um, we we you do have to ring them uh, pretty hard uh, to get the performance out of them. But I think as in terms of a, from a performance to. Uh, like a bang for buck type perspective and Evo's a pretty good thing I mean they're a really hard thing to beat I mean if you want to get a better car you're looking at a you know Porsche or something like that and then you're talking big dollars um, so yeah I think for you know for what they are and the amount of money that we put into them they're, they're, they're a real good thing yeah I think Nick and I were having a discussion off air before you rocked up saying oh Evo seems to be the goal I was looking at some previous results and then it was Porsche like there is a bit of a jump from an Evo to a Porsche in terms of dollars there yeah, is dollars as well yeah, yeah yeah absolutely yeah i think it, i you know i think the porsche um you know if you if you can it's the same with uh, with a lot of cars right if you if you start with a good base package and you put that the money um into the car and, and develop it and put the appropriate you know components and that sort of thing it'll save you money in the long run and um but a porsche is just a probably a little bit out there for us unfortunately but yeah. um no look the, i look i shouldn't complain the the our evo 9 is a very quick little car and um everything that we do to it um is there's nothing wasted on it there's nothing that we do you know just for show everything every dollar that goes into that car is very well spent and we we think about it a lot and how we invest the money into that um so yeah if it's if it makes it go faster we we do it but um yeah, it's uh, that's as I said. That's that's pretty much it. You'd be surprised how close they are to a road car, even though they maybe don't look like it when they're when they're getting thrown around. Yeah, on a early stage. All right. Look on that note. We'll take a quick short break here, and we'll be back with more from Mark right after this. Okay, welcome back. Episode sixty-two of the Talk and Power podcast. We're also on. 88.5 FM, where the valley comes alive, transmitting through the Swan Valley, city of Swan, Ellenbrook, and all the surrounding areas. We've got Mark Greenham with us in the studio uh, here, and we're talking all things Targa West after his recent victory at Targa Southwest. Mark, tell us, how long have you been in rallying, and, and how did you get involved? Well, rallying I've been doing, I think, uh, since about... Um, 2014. Actually, if we go if we go right back to the start, we can go back a long way back to when I was 14 years old, uh, when I first started kart racing, and it was something that I wanted to do um, from a, a fairly young age, actually. But uh, my, I'm sure my parents probably would have liked to have uh, helped me do that a little bit earlier. But it wasn't until I was, I was about 14 before that happened. Um, so yeah, I did that for a number of years, sort of through my high school years, that sort of thing. Um, I did do a little bit of sort of local kind of club level motorsport, some of the smaller type rally events uh, with my dad. Uh, in his, he had a, a modified road going WRX, which was a lot of fun to drive. And then uh, we got talked into um, doing some circuit racing as well. Um, uh, the car that uh, we bought was a, a Series 1 Mazda RX-7. We bought it all the way from Tasmania, actually. It was an improved production uh, car at the time, so it had the uh, the 36mm restrictor uh, 
uh, um, that we had to pull all the air through. So we got rid of that pretty quick and um, converted it to a streetcar. So I ran in the streetcar category for a number of years, and I ran that from 2003 till mm, sort of about 2010, I think it was. Yeah, um, and that was a lot. That was that was a lot of fun to drive that car. That was a good 500 plus horsepower at the wheels, and at the time, the control tyres and that sort of thing that we had to run were street legal uh, tyres. I mean, they were R comps, but they were road legal tyres, and they were on seven inch rims. So I think they were two two five uh, wide, so they mm. didn't. Yeah, really struggled to put the power down. But it was it was definitely a lot of fun to drive around. Yeah, uh, and that was that was great. But um, um, and you know, through all of those years, my um, my dad uh, was my pit crew. My dad was very much, uh, obviously, a big influence on me as uh, as I was growing up, um, especially from a motorsport perspective. I did have a, um, I've got brothers and sisters that, um, or brothers in particular, that were also involved with karting early on, um, but I sort of continued that um, well into my adulthood. And um, so, yeah, he was always working in the pits and, and doing all the hard work, uh, and I was doing most of the, most of the fun work and, and getting to drive. And um, it was sort of um, in the yeah, late 2000, I think 2009, we, he was uh, unfortunately uh, diagnosed with Parkinson's, which we didn't think that, was, um, that wasn't very good. And shortly after that, he was uh, diagnosed with terminal cancer. And um, it, was, uh, it was sort of given, I guess, a limited amount of uh, time. And uh, we said, all right, well, what do we want to do? Um, let's do some stuff together. So uh, we went and got an Evo 7. And we started doing uh, smaller sprint type events. So we were doing the rally sprint series and some of the local hill climbs and, and uh, circuit sprints and that sort of thing because it was the kind of thing that we could uh, both do uh, yep. in the car. And uh, and to be honest, the Evo was a, a lot um, more compliant car, a lot, uh, a lot easier to drive than the RX-7 was. The RX-7 probably would have killed him. So... Um, yeah, and that was that was brilliant. Um, we had a you know great time. We were just you know doing the local stuff, like I said, the local rally sprint series down at the Quinana Motorplex, which is run by um, Ross Tapper and, and mm. the crew there, the same guys that run all of the tarmac rally events uh, here in WA. Yeah, and um, yeah, we unfortunately though the car uh, actually we also ran that car in street cars, uh, funnily enough, through most of the 2011 season. And uh, we ended up winning the streetcar state championship that year as well. Uh, I think by solitary uh, point right at the end of the year, which is um, uh, which is really good. And um, so yeah, after that we, we were into the the rallying type piece. And um, uh, but the car was a bit too modified. It was too there were some you know engine mods that um, weren't uh, target compliant. A little bit of a situation like Denver Parker you had in here the other week. Uh, Denver's car is a street car, well and truly too modified to be running um, as a proper tarmac rally car. But uh, they had um, they opened up an opportunity for us to run in the uh, rookie class. So sort of like an introductory type class. We were just did a couple of days of Targa South, uh, sorry Targa West, uh, on the Saturday and Sunday. And um, so they said, yeah, do you want to come and have a go at this? Um, you can just do those three days and just see how you like it. And uh, it was bloody awesome. Yeah. Yep. And uh, we just kept going from there. So it brings an interesting question into play here. I mean, you, you've you've done both now, circuit racing and rallying racing. So what, what, what was the attraction to rallying that 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 got you over to, to, to persist with rallying? Yeah, look, very, yeah, very different discipline. So... Uh, circuit racing is, you know, whether you're doing, you know, karting or, or you know, car racing or whatever it is, um, you know, 
it's a different you know you're racing against other people you you have those sort of those psychological battles with them as well and you've got it's almost like a game of um it's almost like a game of chess you know sometimes you know mm. that that door-to-door stuff and and um you know playing with the other guys and um it's um rallying but, but with sorry with circuit racing everything is you, you can attack pretty hard because the, the track is very smooth and the track is very you know it's generally pretty flat so everything's at a hundred percent uh, I remember my first rally stage, which was on the 2J uh, uh, stage, well, stage up in 2J called Race Course, and it was the, the Saturday morning of Targa West 2014. And, um, yeah, after my uh, first run, I can remember, like, going up the hill and then, and then mashing the, the brakes for the first time, and I attacked it like I would at a circuit race. And the camber of the road, I was just... its The camber of the road um, sort of dips away to the left and the right, obviously, for drainage. And I was just, I was just shocked. The car just fired, like, hard left and tried to mm. put me straight into the bush. Um, and uh, because of the roughness of the road, it never really feels like that the car's ever in control, even in a straight line. It's always just floating around and... Um, yeah, you, you're just trying to, just keeping it on the road is, was sort of a battle in itself, and um, it was, it was honest to God, it was terrifying. Yeah. I mean, compared to I've, uh, you know, done a lot of circuit racing over the years, and this was nothing, you know, yeah. there's yeah. nothing compared to this rallying stuff. Mm. Um, so yeah, just in terms of just pure uh, exhilaration, um, obviously, you know, once again, different disciplines, but yeah, that's it's, it was definitely hard to beat. Uh, you know, when you were doing sort of 200 k's an hour and the, and the car was just sort of floating around and dancing between the trees. It was, yeah, it was pretty exciting. Mm. One of the other things as well that we probably take for granted in, in rallying is is the co-driver. Uh, so you did you did a stint with your father as well? As he was co-driver, I, am I assuming right? That, yeah, that was, to be honest, that was the plan. So when we did the, when we were doing the rally sprints, uh, yeah, he was definitely doing the co-driving work, but to move up to something like Otago West. Um, I think at the time, just given his condition, that sort of thing, it probably would have been a bit much mm. for him. So we ne- we would have loved to have done that and um, it didn't, you know, unfortunately, didn't get that opportunity. But um, yeah, you, you're absolutely right. It's a rally driving is very much a two person. There are definitely two people mm. in, in control of that car and you really need to... Um, trust the person sitting next to you, and um, to be, in, you know, to be able to to um, to commit in the way in which you have to, you know, to be successful. Yeah. Um, so yeah, in our first event, even though I was very green and very much a newbie, I enlisted the services of a, a, a an experienced co-driver. Mm. I wasn't looking for somebody that was, uh, you, you know, green. Um, that uh, that would have made life very difficult, actually. So I think it was definitely the right decision. So. Um, yeah, I, I um, because it was quite a last-minute decision to do um, Targa West in 2014, uh, there wasn't a lot of co-driver options uh, at the time, but um, I did notice um, one particular name was missing. That was uh, Steph Estabau, which I'd, I'd known for a few years, and um, which I thought was strange because she did most of the events. Um, but just due to work circumstances and that sort of thing, she could only do the weekend, which worked out great uh, yep. for me. And um, she was very, very light as well. Mm. And at the time, that uh, definitely helped uh, get the car down to the minimum weight limit. Um, in fact, with Steph in the car, we were right on it. So um, that was definitely uh, that was definitely helpful. Yeah. For those listeners that aren't aware, like the co-driver is responsible for reading the notes out of, of the, the, the 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 tarmac or the track ahead. So they're how far ahead are they there 50 60 meters reading ahead or how far so like depending on everybody has their own system of notes but generally speaking there there's a a few core components to you know pace noting system 
One of them is, you know, if there's a corner, if it's at left or right, then there'll be a degree of severity to the corner and that we usually have a numbering system for that. In our case, we use a one to six numbering system. We also have little variations on that as well, but um, for the most part, it's left and right, it's one to six, and then there'll be a, um, a distance between the corners. It might be 150 metres, 200 metres, something like that. Uh, so the note might be, um, you know, 300, uh, six right, uh, opens um, and there'll be like a series of those notes and but being able to deliver those notes and time those notes appropriately is actually is, is quite a difficult I job in fact I, I'm, I'm pretty convinced I, I would really struggle to do it um, because it's you have all those different distances it's all well and good to say you know if you've got 300 meters between the next instruction then life's pretty easy life's pretty cruisy but there are a lot of um you know notes where there'll be one corner after another and it's just ands and intos and it's just one note after another um or there might be small distances between them and so having a co-driver that's able to deliver those notes and and understand where the car is and when you know the driver needs the notes uh it's a re yeah, really difficult job um I, and, and then do, doing that, dealing with all the stress of like the car like firing along and you know sliding out of control and potentially running off the road and having absolutely no control over the situation, mm. it's pretty impressive what they do. Oh, I think it's amazing. I mean, Todd mentioned it to me, but there's no no possible way that I could ever do it. <laughs> I'm just not not skilled enough to be reading that far ahead and and, and processing it all. So no, I'm out anyway. <laughs> hey, look, we'll take a quick break here and we'll be back right after this. Okay, episode 62 of the Talk and Power podcast. We're with Mark Graham from Targa West fame. Mark, uh, Targa Bunbury. Well, the Targa Bunbury Sprint is coming up. Uh, you have a bit of a checkered history with the Targa Bunbury Sprint, would be the best way to put it. Um, can you uh, elaborate a bit on that for us at all? Yeah, so the, <laughs> the inaugural Targa um, uh, Bunbury Sprint, uh, which is back in uh, 2016 now, um, uh, once again, that's coming up for another year. That's in a couple of weeks, and uh, they shut down the the roads of the uh, Halifax um, uh, industrial estate down there, and they set up a tarmac rally stage uh, through that area. Uh, you do um, eight runs through the stage, so you do four uh, runs in one direction, and then they reverse it and do four runs in the afternoon. It's a very very popular event. I think we have 120 entries this year um, that are confirmed with 140 total, so there's 20 people on a waiting list, so it's going to be a huge event, should be lots of fun. Um, but no, 2016, um, yeah, not so much fun for us. We, um, uh, we were going quite well. We were running second, uh, I think, to Will White at the time. I actually overshot a junction just a little bit on the first stage, and I had to make up some time. And I, and I was making time up on the second, third, and fourth stages, but it wasn't going to be enough. And uh, they reversed the stage in the first run through the reverse stage. We thought, right, well, I'll, I'll push pretty hard here, and we'll make up some time. And I think the split time showed that we were, that we were uh, up. Um, quite a lot but unfortunately on a very very high speed part of the course we ran a little bit wide and uh, went straight through a fairly uh, big power pole and then continued up the road a little bit further and came to rest uh, embedded in another power pole so um, yeah that wasn't uh, that wasn't much fun at all and it was just a um, 
it was just one of the just a case of just pushing a little bit hard uh the corner before uh that we went off was was sort of a, a short uh we call it sort of a short four left and um so you can attack it pretty hard and once again the camber of the road sort of when we're on the inside of the corner with the cables all hooked up and as we sort of exited and went over the the middle of the road and sort of the camber dropped away again we just sort of slithered off the road and unfortunately with rallying it's very different to circuit racing. You know, I remember running wide on turn seven at Barbagallo loads and loads of times and you ride up over the ripple strips and, you, you know, you take a bit of kerb or you take mm. a bit of dirt or whatever and you continue on and, you know, you lose a couple of tenths. And in rallying, you run off you run off the road by sort of 90 centimetres and, you know, you're into power poles. And um, so we took the brunt um, uh, head on on the driver's side. Um, fortunately, uh, my co-driver, Steph, um, was uninjured. I mean, she was obviously quite sore for the next uh, few days and probably a few weeks, but um, didn't break anything and, you know, walked away. Uh, I wasn't so lucky. Uh, I smashed my um, L1 vertebrae. Uh, my bottom of my left leg, both the tip and fib, were shattered and needed reconstructive surgery. I've got rods in my back. Um, we broke sternum, hand. Um, I was, yeah, I was pretty, uh, pretty banged up. Uh, but fortunately, we do you know we have all the appropriate safety gear so we have a you know the proper roll cage and that sort of thing uh, although the new car is another uh, evolution uh, above that as well in terms of safety features and roll cage and that sort of thing um but um yeah that was a, a really quite a big off and unfortunately that um because of the damage to the power poles and the power lines lying all over the ground that cancelled the event for the other competitors so um yeah apologize again for that guys <laughs> uh, years ago i'll try not to do that again this year um but uh yeah that put us out of um out of commission for um yeah a good 12 months and that was that took uh, it was quite a long recovery so with um you know when you have back surgery like that and put put the rods um in your back they um you're in a back brace for three months minimum and uh with my legs and everything else you know that, that were broken um yeah i did very little i spent a lot of time lying on my back and staring at the ceiling for many weeks on end and um it's it's you know it's a strange it's a strange thing you initially after the accident you're actually quite upbeat about it because you're like oh well this is fine you know it's, it's bones right we just bolt them back together and they'll heal and you know we'll, we'll get back out there but um it's the 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 mental uh toll that it takes that's probably the hardest thing and, and the fact that you can't when you when you you know do break your back you can't do anything you can't go into rehab you just have to wait you just get told to wait for three months before you do any work um, and I've fortunately never been somebody that suffered from, you know, depression, depression or anything like that. And, um, you know, it's probably difficult for some people to understand what that's really like. But being in that situation, I would say probably about six weeks in was probably the lowest point. You get a window into what it's sort of like for somebody that that does have that. Um, I mean, you know, you know, you're going to get better. You know that there's, you know, you got all the, you know, all these family and friends around you supporting mm. you, but you get um, in such a sort of deep, sort of dark hole that it's you can't dig yourself out of it. You can't talk yourself out of it. You just sort of accept the fact that this, this is how you're going to feel, and and yeah, there's nothing anyone can do or say, and there's nothing you can do to um, to fix it. And um, but as I said. Um, you know, once you you do heal and you can start that rehab process, um, then you know things definitely pick up from there. In fact, I remember so my my bottom of my left leg, I couldn't move the ankle at all. That was actually probably you know everybody thinks that back injuries are bad, and, and don't get me wrong, they are. Um, but definitely the the smashed uh, left leg that took a lot more uh, rehab. 
Um, but I did things like, um, I think I said Corsa that just came out at the time, about three months after my crash, so I picked that up for PlayStation 4 and I started doing a bit of rehab on the driving sim, that sort of thing, because that was about all I could really handle, even that was a struggle at the time. <laughs> but I had to start from there. And, um, yeah, just that, that took... Um, yeah, good. It was probably a good six months before I could walk on both my legs again, put put weight on both legs. Hmm. It's an interesting insight into the psychology yeah. of, of when 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 an accident happens for a driver because it's something we've never spoken about on the podcast, sixty two episodes in, and I don't believe any anyone's ever spoken about no. that. So I really appreciate you talking about that because that that is quite important. Yeah, you know, I've I've had a number of you know friends who have also had some fairly. Um, significant uh, incidents over the years you know and after mine as well one in particular um he, he knows who he is but he had a he had very similar injuries to me actually had a, um, a broken back and broken legs as well and um um so i spoke to him you know not long after his accident i said the same thing i said look out for this because this will this will this will sneak up on you it'll it'll, it'll get to you and um I don't think he, he probably at the time didn't sort of realise that. Obviously, he took it on board and took those comments on board. But um, yeah, afterwards he said, "Yeah, you're right. No, mm. That's it's pretty, that's exactly what it's like." Yeah, yeah. No, I mean, oh, and credit with credit, streamer. I'm seeing, remember seeing it happen, and I saw you went out what eleven weeks later at Targa West, and I was pretty impressed that you were up and about. You were very slow moving, but oh, God, that was yeah, that was hard work, oh. was hard spectating work. Um, and thank you to my trusty co-driver Steph yeah, about who took over driving duties for that that weekend yeah that was quite an amusing weekend shuffling me around in Steph a, shuffling you around in, and uh, in Clive her little uh, WRX with um, <laughs> just beautifully compliant suspension for someone with a, with a back injury <laughs> yes um, but uh, no look that was that, yeah that was definitely hard work but uh, yeah I wasn't going to just sort of sit around and uh, and um, feel sorry for myself so it was uh, it was really good to see everybody um, out there in the field and everybody was you know hugely supportive it's something i mean you, you know that um you know when you're in it when you're competing you know it is the, the people that are around you know that are around you they really make um all the difference but then when things you know really do go wrong um it's quite overwhelming to see the sort of you know the amount of support that you get and the amount of um you know the people come up to you and the and the messages that you get and people always wanting to visit you know how are you going and, and you know what can we do to help you you know to get back in the car and that kind of thing it's it's really good now as a fan watching that weekend i must admit it was quite humbling would be the word to watch you around and you, you said all the other competitors were going out of their way to come and say hello are you okay what can we do and I think at one point I just sat back and sort of went, look, you need to think I'm here. Steph was helping you, you know, to no end. And it was great to see. Like, it was great to actually see the Tiger family sort of come together, I guess you'd say. And they always do. Like, I, you know, think that's a good thing about them. So... <laughs> Yeah, look, I think with you know a lot of a lot of sports, whether it's motorsport or you know whatever it is, it's really, I suppose that's that's like anything in life, isn't it? It's really the people that um, that really make all the difference. Mm-hmm. Um, and obviously, having that that common interest and sharing those sort of common goals and that sort of thing, it's what you know brings people together. But it really is the people and, and the atmosphere around those people that um, that make the sport as enjoyable as it is. Yeah. And the rallying's pretty fun too. Yeah. <laughs> so um, now that we've got all the, the bad stuff out of the way, Mark, I guess you'd say, future plans. I mean, Tiger Bunbury is in a couple of weeks, as we've mentioned. Um, do we have anything past that? I mean, there's Tiger West coming up. But... Yeah, so with the WA event, um, yeah, as you said, we've, we've got the Bunbury Sprint, hugely popular event. Um, we've already entered for that. Um, 
we've got the mid-year rally sprint which is held in july and that's sort of a precursor and uh to target west in august the july rally sprint also um, offers an opportunity for the um, competitors at target west to take um sponsors like corporate sponsors family friends for a ride uh in the car so they do have an event on that particular weekend but in the morning is dedicated to giving sponsor rides and that sort of thing and um that is definitely a big selling point in terms of you know when you're looking to attract sponsors being able to actually put them in you know in the rally car or their customers in the rally car um is is a huge um it's a huge thing and uh we really appreciate you know um ross tapper and the guys you know for making that um those opportunities available um to the competitors because there's very you know rallying is you know it's on closed roads there's very few opportunities where you can do that sort of thing it's not like circuit racing where you can close you know hire a track and you know for an hour or whatever very very difficult to do that rallying in fact they did it um earlier this yeah, they run a uh, charity event down at um, Targa Southwest. So as part of the shakedown on the Friday afternoon, they run a shortened version of the Pump Hill stage and people can um, make a donation to uh, to the charitable organisation you know, of, you know, of um, that particular year. And, um, yeah, they get to jump in a rally car and all the competitors down there and give them a, give them a ride and scare the hell out of a few people. And it's, uh, <laughs> yeah, it's pretty good fun. Yeah. Uh, but for as far as um, yeah, for the rest of the the plans for this year, so we've got those those events coming up. Targa West is obviously the next big one. Um, that is a four day event, fairly significant financial investment. So we're working on that at the moment to try and put a plan together. I wouldn't say obviously we, I say that every year and we end up making it one way or another. Bar 2016, of course, which we won't talk about anymore. But yeah. um, uh, so yeah, look, you know, we're, we're trying to get there. Um, Obviously, uh, you know, we'd, we'd like to reach out to anybody that would like to get involved um, uh, to, to um, get on board with us with the, with the Race Talk Engineering uh, Evo. And, um, you know, come talk to us. We have a Facebook page. It's at, if you just uh, uh, Google uh, Mark Green and Racing facebook page for that you can find us you can reach out to us there and um yeah anybody that uh that can um thinks they can support us or would like to be involved and would like to talk to me about uh, what we can do for them by all means get in touch and we'll uh, make a plan well that sounds great i mean look mark we really appreciate your time coming on is there anyone else you need to thank any other sponsors you'd like to just mention? Oh, you know i think there are so many people over the years i mean we just talked about you know the support that i got from when i had my accident but it's not just that um the number of times that we've i've had friends and mates running around like running turbos up from like bunbury or mm. or, or you know into call the pipes you know now from darden up and things like that doing roads so i've i've had i, I couldn't I couldn't name them all right now, but you know those guys know who they you know who they are, and I, and I really thank them for it. I mean, Will White, Bill Stagall, um, his boy Rowan actually helped us out um, uh, running a turbo up for us at Tiger West last year. Actually, that's <laughs> that one comes to mind. Um, but um, no, just look a big a big thanks to my um, my family uh, for being very you know supporting me over the years, especially when you know obviously when things are going well it's good, and when things are going real bad that you know they're a real big mm. really big asset, and they were definitely a really big help. Um, my sponsors, um, I guess the main one would be Race Talk Engineering. And they've I've we've worked together for a number of years ever since we you know the Evo Seven Days, which is 2010, so that's nine years ago now. But those guys were instrumental in getting me back uh, into that that new car, that Evo Nine, um, so quickly, and um, I I wouldn't have been able to do it without their help. So um, yeah, very uh, forever indebted uh, indebted to those guys. Um, 
And yeah, look, I've, I've picked up a couple of other sponsors sort of over the years. One of them, um, Calmac um, Panel and Paint. We actually met um, um, Nathan Callahan when he was a, a young bloke. Um, um, slightly interesting situation. My um, dad uh, rolled the uh, company car, the Nissan Patrol, with all the kids uh, on board on a back road out the back of Mandra um, late one evening. <laughs> um, and uh, uh, Nathan's dad, John, and uh, himself came out to uh, help us uh, pick up the car and take it off to the car yard. And, uh, and Nathan he actually runs now. He's been racing motorsport for many years as well through karting, through stalling cars, that sort of thing. And um, so we've had that sort of develop that friendship over a number of years, and he's come in very handy. There were a couple of times that I've had a little bit of a mingle or put it into a guardrail. Uh, we couldn't do much with the Evo 7, unfortunately, but he uh, helped us get the Evo 9 uh, back on the track as well. So we really appreciate those guys. Um, yeah. Thank you. No, no, that's it. Look, I mean, that's that's great, and we really appreciate yeah. your time and coming on the podcast and on eighty-eight point five FM as well. Um, thanks, Mark, and uh, I think you just give that Facebook page one more plug, just for those that may have missed it. Yes, yeah, so if you go to facebook.com, it's so facebook.com forward slash mark dot greenham dot racing, or if you just Google yeah. Mark Greenham Racing, no Facebook, worries, you'll find us. Okay, Mark, really appreciate your time. Thanks for coming on. Yeah, thanks, Mark. Thanks, Nick. Thanks, Take care. Okay, episode 62 of the Talking Power podcast. We also transmit through 88.5 FM. Where the valley comes alive. Great interview there with Mark Greenham. If you missed it, make sure rewind about 39-odd minutes and listen to that again. It's great. Great interview there with, with Mark, and we really appreciate his time. Formula One uh, from Canada. What, uh, what an absolute sham from the stewards. Wow. You know. <laughs> the grass, the grass I guess is always greener. <laughs> Well, not, not after Vettel's driven over it. Yeah. Uh, very reminiscent of John Zapier, who called the park. <laughs> I wonder if he was going to get a five-second penalty. <laughs> Look, I was really disappointed with the, the stewards on this one. I think they've got it wrong. I really do. I think they've got it wrong. Um, well, this is the thing, Nick. You know, where do you draw the line between a racing incident and a penalty? Mm. You know? Um, this was a racing incident. It was clearly should should he have let uh, Hamilton Hamilton through, and then run him down? Would that no. have changed the outcome? Would the stewards have, have called it differently? Uh, potentially, but Hamilton hadn't made the pass, hadn't got around him. You know, even though he was as Vettel re-entered the track, Hamilton wasn't in the position to is the shortcut. Is is that? you know part of the reason why they did it yeah but i don't think he's gained an advantage from the shortcut if anything he's disadvantaged himself by going onto the grass and well he hasn't lost a place yeah i know but you know scotty mclaughlin went off at turn what what did we say last week don't even start with (laughs) scotty mclaughlin and took out his own teammate apparently they both got an email from uh, roger penske (laughs) but look i mean my point is that I, i felt that that Sebastian didn't make a gain, and Hamilton, really, that wasn't a really the right place to be passing anyway. Anyway, listen, what I took from that Grand Prix is that the Ferraris have found something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right? And that's all we need. That's, yeah. that's you know, um, because it's been a one-horse race 
Mm. Uh, one star race, no horses to be seen race, <laughs> a no horse race uh, for this season. And now, you know, now there's there's going to be some racing. Yeah. Um, it was also great to see Daniel. Oh, yeah, I mean, definitely. I, I, look, I'll, he qualified brilliantly. Mm. Um, but, you know, there's something that I always hear uh, racing car drivers at this level talk about, and that's that you need to finish above your qualifying position to prove mm. yourself as a, a driver. So, unfortunately, he didn't do that. Um, but certainly, whatever's changed in, in their team, uh, in their setup, and uh, same with Ferrari, you know, it's a step forward. Mm. Uh, and hopefully, they can keep making big steps like that. Yeah. I thought Daniel Ricciardo's um, drive was excellent. And it's good to see the, the, the Renault actually making a bit of a... Now, what did you think of his blocking? Oh, I didn't have an issue with it at all. I thought that was perfect because it was it was, you know, brought up um, like the internet was well and truly alive mm. with people uh, passing comments and suggesting that the stewards need to take a look at it. Yeah. Um. Yeah. He, we, this is the Bottas. Bottas. Yeah. I know yeah. Bottas was stuck behind him for a considerable amount of time, but um, I didn't. I didn't think it was. I didn't think it was anything that was untoward. Let's put it that way. He did do a bit of a shifty. Mm. <laughs> I think he, he's he's allowed to move he's allowed to move the position of the car to block to block to a certain extent. Maybe I'm a bit tainted in this. Yeah, view. I don't know, mate. <laughs> anyway, I think see the problem is Nick that you seem to think that they should be racing. <laughs> yeah, yeah I, I've got this misconception that Formula One is actually racing, but perhaps it's not. It's a bit like football. <laughs> yeah, it should be tackling, tackling to the ground. Anyway, um, I was really interested also, Kevin Magnussen. I love Kevin Magnussen, but I also love his boss, Gunther Steiner. I haven't watched the document. Have you caught the documentary at all? The Formula One documentary on Netflix, Todd? Which one? There's a couple. I think it's called Drive to Survive. I think I started watching it. Yeah, and Gunther Steiner, yeah. Didn't quite get through it oh, okay. yet. Oh, all right. <laughs> Is it not that? I, I, look, I've I'm had very good reports. Anyway, Gunther Steiner makes it worthy view and I'm, I'm led to believe but anyway he had a gut full of uh, Kevin Magnussen complaining on the radio that the car was absolutely terrible to drive and uh, actually did gave he, didn't he say something like it was the worst car he'd worst ever, car driven. He's ever driven <laughs> and I'm sure he's driven some <laughs> crappy rental cars K-Mag but you know anyway he was really disappointed with Haas and but old Gunther Steiner gave you know, back as good as he does got does he compare that to like a Lada or <laughs> what's, where's the comparison coming from I don't know I don't know but I love K-Mag I think he's great value for the sport and I love to see these sort of characters evolve and you know I like the banter between them on the on the radio I thought that was really great I thought it was really good <laughs> anyway, is he going to let the audience in on the joke I can't remember exactly what <laughs> Gunther Steiner came back with, but basically uh, we've heard enough of you complaining about about how terrible this car is. Just get on and race. So, anyway. All right, so the TCR Championship yeah. moved into round two at the picturesque Phillip Island. And what beautiful weather they had at Phillip Island. What a beautiful place. It, it was is a very nice. I've driven past there. I've never actually gone into the facility, but I've driven past. There. Now the greenkeeper, mm-hmm. he would have he would have been saved a lot of work because <laughs> there was a lot of cars out there mowing the lawn. There was a fair bit of that there going was. on, wasn't there? There's some action. So so look, you know, my criticism of this um, round one was that there was a lot of fun to follow the leader, and I, I watched all the races 
with a different set of eyes this time. I thought, I'm going to take on board what Todd said, at, you know, the last, you know, with round one because he thoroughly enjoyed it and I thought it was shit. <laughs> but um, definitely there is a lot of, you know, stuff going on. Yeah. But I wouldn't call it racing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and the offs that happen. I don't know if you guys have noticed this. Um, the cars go off by themselves. They do. They do. <laughs> no that, one needs. Nah. No, no, no. There's no bumping involved. They just. Oh, I'm gonna go here. Did you see Garth Tander's spin in practice? That was actually quite frightening. That, and that literally came off by itself. It wasn't. Yeah, hit I didn't. By anyone. I didn't really see any like the, when they hit those things. They must be made out of paper mache because. Like they destroy themselves, the mm. doors cave in, the fenders fall off. And did you see? Did, did you guys catch the race at all? I did. Yeah. Did you yeah. see yeah. The, race the, one and race three, not race two? The contact repair job with the, the final the, wrap the around the, the white, the white I, contact. Yes, yes. I like that one, lad. Um, yeah. So, so towards the end, once the guys got settled in, you really saw that 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 um, uh, Will Brown and uh, his teammate. Um, in the other HMO car. Yeah. Uh, Nathan Morecambe. Yes. They, they kind of, you know, you could see they were the head and shoulders above the rest. Now, whether that's car development, I actually spent a bit of time reading up on the rules in these things. They're two-litre turbocharged. Um, they can use the factory sequential transmission or they have a specific um, transmission that's designed specifically for this series. If you choose to use the um, the sequential designed specifically for this series you cop a uh, i think it was like a, a 35 pound weight penalty um but there's a lot of what i do like about it and and i'm still kind of you know a bit interested and we'll probably follow the series uh, throughout this this season um there is still a lot of the original car there like the floor mm. pans there you yeah. know there's there's so the rear suspension i believe uh, is predominantly standard apart from you know springs and and uh, so on the brakes are restricted the rotor diameter and the number of pistons is restricted front suspension's open and um, the engines have to produce a particular amount of power and torque uh, and I believe that they um, they, they do that through some development uh, dynoing and and so on um, but yeah I, I think as the the series progresses and as the governing body um, evens the cars up. I think it's going to be good, but yeah, I mean the offs aren't because of you know killer racing or, or tactical moves. <laughs> nah. They're just the cars just spin out. Um, and the other thing I was going to say is what I noticed was that the guys that were the worst drivers so far in this championship are the V8 supercar drivers. <laughs> I didn't want to say that, but <laughs> me neither, and I didn't want to attack. Garth is, you know, a local. Well, even Alex Rulo. Mm. I mean, these guys try to fit their cars in gaps that aren't there. Yeah. Create havoc. Yeah. And, you know. But but we're in we're early days now. And one of the things that um, uh, I noticed that they spoke a lot about in the paddock was the fact that the drivers are all talking to each other and sharing information. As the series progresses, we'll start to see that yeah, <laughs> sort we'll of diminish. Yeah. So these things at 200 grand... They're supposed to come in at around 200 grand landed in Australia. And then you've got to buy your spares and obviously set up to transport your car from 
from point to point. And I don't know if they're selling franchises like they did with the V8 supercars. Uh, but certainly for me, the standout was Will Brown. He, yeah. um, he definitely... Di- but Dylan O'Keefe as well, race one and race two, really romped away with it in the Alfa, in the Alfa Romeo Giulietta. I know Will Brown yeah. came back. Will Brown actually run, won the round because of his dominant performance in round, race yeah, well, three. In, in race three, um, the Giulietta... Like was off early. Yeah, he was a DNF, and yeah, that yeah. really cost Dylan his his weekend. Unfortunately, there were some big hits. Mm. You know, yeah, there uh, was there was Andre Heingartner and um, Jason Bright. They weren't too um, complimentary that's of each what other. I mean, that the, the the supercar drivers really uh, made a bit of a mockery of it. They actually made themselves look pretty bad. Mm. You know, like if you were hiring, you'd sort of go, yeah, let's give Will Brown a go. But do you <laughs> think this is a good I mean, should V8 super driver, V8 supercar drivers be jumping back to TCR? Do you agree with that philosophy? I, I think that this is a standalone category. Mm. I don't think that this category—it's not a feeder. I, no, I think that, the, that these cars are going to be totally different. Front-wheel drive. Um, you know, look, we, we we haven't done a lot of front-wheel drive, but we had a little bit of fun with the Camry mm. and. They are completely different to drive. It, it amazed me um, how loose they are on the rear end because you wouldn't think that, you know, it's front-wheel drive. You think all the action's going on up the front. But yeah. uh, just the way the dynamics are, and you could see that clearly, the way these cars were just, you know, spearing themselves off the track, you know. Mm, yeah. Um, so, yeah, I think it's going to be different. I think once these guys learn how to drive, watch the Bruce Truon car guys, right? They come in, they cut the apex, and they put the inside tyre on the other side of the kerb. Mm, yeah. <laughs> use the kerb uh, uh, in the same manner as you use the slot on a Scalettrix track. <laughs> you know, and I, I think that uh, we're going to start to see guys figure this kind of thing out. Yeah, um, yeah. These cars are very similar. You know, the British touring cars are, you know, purpose-built like a uh, more like a sports sedan uh, version of these. Mm. But... Um, the guy that designed this class, he, he you know, and they reckon that this is going to be the replacement for the British Touring Car Series eventually. Yeah, okay. So, yeah. Um, you know, I, I think it's cool. It just comes down to how, how well it gets supported. Mm. The, the frustrating part for me, and this goes back to what I was, I was talking about with Thunder 400 and so on, these guys already got a TV series. They've been mm. in it for five minutes and yeah. they've got a TV series because there's a couple of billionaires that are backing it. The Wilson Security, the owner of Wilson Security, is backing it, and uh, I forget the other guy's name. But admittedly, it is entertaining. But in saying that, so is the the um, Aeroflow series. So mm. is the, the the you know if we could see it on free to air, the the um, pro slammer and pro alcohol and so on and so forth. So um, anyway, it's I think it's a good category. I, um, a lot of people will argue that two hundred thousand plus spares plus you know etc cetera, etc cetera, is not affordable. But when you compare it to supercars, where I, I think even the cheapest team would be throwing five million, oh yeah, easy. yeah, you know, yeah, easy. Um, then then this is probably a million dollar mm. category. Mm. Um, it's still, you know, your average Joe Blow. People like us aren't going to do it. Mm. Um, but who knows? Who knows where to go? Yeah. At least it's not another Porsche Cup. <laughs> <laughs> All right, on that note, we'll take a short break here and we'll be right back after this.
Okay, welcome back to the Talk and Power podcast, episode 62. Also streaming on iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud, Podbean, and 88.5 FM. Where the valley comes alive. <laughs> you love that, don't you? I <laughs> hey, look, it, it, this came out probably a couple of months ago now, but we're we'll, we'll just we're sort of getting around to talking about it. But it's the WA, WA government's motorsport strategy. Um, and I've printed it out, and we're just going to have a quick uh, gloss over this. But basically, it's a strategy of... If you don't mind, I'll actually read. Recognising the importance of the industry community level, grassroots base was critical starting point in developing the WA motorsport strategy. So the state government has an important role to play, not leading motorsports development, but empowering local participants, clubs and operators to take hold of their industry's future. So this is uh, Mick Murray. He's the member of the Legislative Assembly. Thank you, Simon. (laughs) He's the Minister for Sports and Recreation. That's correct. Yeah, Mick Murray. So he's put the Honourable Mick Murray. Sorry, yeah, the Honourable Mick Murray. My apologies, uh, Mick Murray. But uh, he's put this this, um, strategy together and basically calls out for, um, I guess, what you would call people in the industry to participate and put together this strategy and form what they would call um, a working body <laughs> sort is of, what you'd call it. You've, you've, you've bypassed about 10 pages there <laughs> and gone straight to the... So, yeah, they, they have a, a five-part plan that they um, intend mm-hmm. on implementing uh, between the third quarter of 2019 and the end of 2020, mm-hmm. um, which will be in the term of, of the current state government. Um, the first uh, pillar, because yep. they, they refer to it as a five-pillar plan, is to establish a, a representative industry working group to develop motorsports in Western Australia. And this is uh, the responsibility of local governments, sports and cultural industries, uh, Confederation of Australian Motorsports, CAMS, mm-hmm. and Motorcycling WA. Um, anyway, so the second pillar will be the motorsport industry develops best practice guidelines. I want to have this done by mid-2020. And this will be in charge of the Department of Local Government, Sports and Cultural Industries and Representative Industry Working Group. So the group they establish will be instrumental in this second pillar. The third pillar will be to develop an infrastructure framework to support the retention, development and future growth of motorsport in Western Australia. And they want to have that sorted by the end of 2020. Um, and once again, this will be the Department of Local Government, Sports and Cultural Industries and Representative Industry Working Group. Uh, develop a motorsport pathway within key venues is the fourth pillar. We want to have that done by the end of 2020. And this will be solely the responsibility of the representatives industry working group. And the fifth pillar will be to align motorsport events with sports development and uh, broader tourism objectives, which I think is a fantastic idea. Mm. Um, and, and once again, they like to have that sorted by the end of 2020. And this will be, once again, the uh, representative industry working group and the Department of Local Government, Sports and Cultural Industries. So, yeah, that that fifth pillar, I think, is really interesting because um, if we could get events like the Western Nationals back to their former glory, Mm. um, that would be fantastic. And and the thing that I I really feel it's lacking with all motorsport events in Western Australia, we... We're as competitors, we're so caught up in getting ready for the event that we completely ignore the promotion side of it. Mm. And generally, the promoters 
uh, are so involved in trying to maximize their profits that they tend to really skimp out on the advertising these days. Yeah. And, yeah. And, and part of this is maybe because they don't have the time that they used to to organize these events. In the old days, you used to get a marketing partner like 96FM or, you know, whoever, 88.5, mm. could be anyone. Um, and they would handle a lot of that promotion for you. Um, we don't seem to see a lot of that. No, and that's no. the problem. If people don't know the event's happening, then you're not going to get the bums on seats. And it's important not just for the promoter to get the bums on seats to make a profit, but it's also important for the growth of the sport. And it's important for, for the competitors to have that big audience because then that's going to lure sponsors and lure more money into the sport. And I think this is something that they really, you know, that the... the promoters really haven't you know they're always looking at, at the 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 small scale rather than the larger the big picture what's the saying um they can't, see, can't the see the forest for the, for trees. the trees yeah yep. so this will be very uh very interesting i myself would love to be involved in this because um you know as as you guys know i've been involved in a lot of different motorsports in this state mm. um you know as a competitor as a sponsor um and so on and so forth so I think it's great. I think that, that uh, uh, this is something completely unexpected for me in, in that the government's being proactive. And it's, it's, you know, in 2019, it's unusual to see the government being proactive. So hats off to uh, Mick Murray mm-hmm. and uh, the Labor Party. I, I think that um, uh, this, you know, if, if it's managed correctly, uh, it's going to be a great thing for not just for motorsport in general, but for Western Australia. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, and if you'd want more further information on the on the strategy, go head to the Department of Local Government, Sport and Cultural Industries website, and you can find it from there. If not, just Google. This is how I found it: WA Motorsport Strategy. It'll take you straight to the PDF. Or you could go to www.dlgsc.wa.gov.au. That's correct. Yep. So head on over there. And, um, you know, if you feel really strongly about it, speak to your local member as well about what you can do and how you can participate. That'll be really great. All right. Quickly, let's just touch on NHRA. It was on over the weekend. Uh, Pro Mod, Stevie Fast Jackson. Our man, Stevie Fast Jackson. He did. He, he won it. He won it for... It was quite an emotional event. He also won it for <coughs> Billy, Billy Stockland. And, and Paul Mahoyet made mention of Billy Stockland as well. Billy lost his father during the week. Both Stevie Fast and Paul Mahoyet honoured their race victories to uh, Billy's father. So it was really great to see. Um, some massive carnage... At the at this in pro mod, I don't know why if the track it was at Topica. I don't know if the track hadn't quite come around, but we saw some massive crashes. I look, I haven't seen the footage of the crashes, but quite often, uh, particularly with pro mod and pro stock cars, you, you don't run a lot of wing in these cars. That's how they're getting these ridiculous mile an hours mm. with, with um, you know fourteen seventy one combination engines. So for those of you that don't know, in Australia we run a um, we refer to as a screw blower they make a lot more power than the 1471 combos uh so the 1471 is a conventional roots style supercharger like you you know your gm superchargers they refer to and um uh, these cars are slightly lighter um but if you've got a track that's got uh, what we refer to as a narrow groove Mm. 
cars, pro stockers and pro mod cars that aren't running a lot of downforce, don't run a lot of wing in them, um, they are going to be a bit sketchy. Uh, You know, top fuel, funny car, run massive amounts of wing and, you know, generate their own downforce uh, with that and, and can find traction and, you know, can sort of generally keep the cars going even if they move out of the groove mm. slightly um but yeah pro mod pro stock uh, yeah I, I, I don't know without seeing the racing I, I can't say for sure but um you know these cars have over the years been renowned for uh, uh radial style blowovers and so on when they yeah. hit the wall and, and and get loose um so it's it's unfortunate you never want to see cars crash especially cars at this level i mean to qualify for an nhra event you need to be you know one of the 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 best guys out there because 30 40 cars show up for a 16 car field so if if you're in the field you know you're pretty you're doing pretty good already yeah yeah yeah, so look up. Hats off to our man Stevie Fast. It was great to see him win. And this is his third for the season. Yeah, that's correct. Yeah, yep. Yeah. So he's um he'd be leading some... the points now. Yeah. Um. While Nick's checking that, <laughs> we've got some upcoming events. So fifteenth uh, to the sixteenth of June, we've got the WA Hot Rod and Street Machine Spectacular. Is that at uh, Claremont Showgrounds? There you go, Claremont Showgrounds. Uh, 22nd, 23rd of June, Targa Bunbury. Uh, 8th and 11th of August, or 8th through to the 11th of August, I should say. Uh, Targa West, uh, I believe you're going to be at that event. I'm planning on it, I hope so. You better be there. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, And... uh, Racing for MNDI Show and Shine, 18th of August. That's right. What's MNDI? Nick? Okay, so that's Racing for Motor Neurone Disease motor in, the inherent, yep. in the inherent inherent version. Um, so they're fundraising and they're holding a car show. I'm part of that. Um, so that'll be at Gwellop Shopping Centre on the 18th of August. So head down to Gwellop. It's on a Sunday. Tiger West, do we know where all the stages are going to be this year? Yep, we do. We, we had do. Dave Smith last week and gave us a rundown on all the we, stages. Oh, this is when I was suspended. <laughs> yeah. I was on the bench. So, so, so um, uh, they still running through Malaga? Yes. Yeah? Cool. And there's uh, an Ellenbrook stage this year. There's also an Ellenbrook stage. Yeah. Oh, excellent. Excellent. You yeah. guys going to have a sausage sizzle? We're working on that right now. We're working on it. <laughs> I'll fill you in with that. Yeah. <laughs> but we're also going to be on the Sunday at Langley Park. Oh, yeah? Excellent. In, yeah. Excellent. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. Well, Todd's... Yeah. And, and uh, is anyone going to the WA Hot Rod and Street Machine Spectacular? Are you going to go down there and get a bit of footage, Nick? Oh, I hope to get there on that Sunday. I'll see. Yeah, how I'll be going. going down for a look at one point as well, and Excellent. having a walk around. So, Good work, guys. if you uh, see me in the talking power shirt, I'll be wearing it. To give us a <laughs> say hello to Todd. Yeah, polite yeah. tap on the back. Not how hey, you get out of the bushes, but eligible <laughs> female looking for love <laughs> in all the wrong places. <laughs> So. If you're at the Hot Rod show looking for love, yeah. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> I'm sure you're sure to find plenty of single guys there. It might be a hot dog show, but anyway, you know. <laughs> anyway, additionally, there's some other events coming up. There's actually the uh, Targa July Sprint, which is the forerunner to Targa West. Is that at the Motorplex? Yes, it is. Uh, now, this of- is an interesting event for, for uh, <laughs> anyone that's never been there before. They use part of the drag strip and part of the car park. That's correct. Well, and part of the, um, well, the, yeah, pit, pit lanes, essentially, the pits. Yeah. The infield, yeah. And the, the goat track around the back of the 
cool, um, made a place. Yeah, because I thought they used the drag strip and then did a 180. Not always. Sometimes they kick off and they sit at the end, top end of the drag strip. They go off and then join up to the car park and use that circular. Oh, there's a road that runs around there. A circular road out the front of the stands. So is that near where the ambulance... Must be. I don't know, know the top end mm. of the track that well, that well, unfortunately. I do know that it's... I'm usually few... listening to all sorts of funny noises coming from the... <laughs> that's that's <laughs> me wheeling backwards and forwards trying it, to find the points. It's actually a feed bend in front of the... Well, the ticket booth, essentially, because it actually tightens up that little half or the loop that goes yeah, around yeah, the ticket yeah, booth. Yeah, I know where that is, yeah. And there's yep. been lots of people who've um, removed copper logs out the front there and um, apparently it's quite expensive and on the car the driver and everything else in between when you take those couple of logs out of the car or the, okay. the loop road area so yeah another How'd one you go there Nick <laughs> Stevie Fast is leading the points I can't tell you how much it went the, the actual points table is not up to date and he's only had two wins this year I thought it was three myself two oh there you two. go but he is leading the points I thought it was three too well, there you go all right, well, that brings this podcast to a close. Um, thanks for joining us, guys. And Simon, you're going to be off soon? Oh, yeah. So um, uh, my my second child is due. Yep. And, um, uh, yeah, very, very shortly. Um, so, so good luck with that. Congratulations. Yes, thanks. And thanks. Uh, after, after tonight's episode, <laughs> the punami there. But anyway. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> All right, guys, thanks for joining us, and uh, we'll see you soon. Yeah, thanks, Nick. <laughs> thanks, Nick. Okay. Talk and Power, your motorsport and motoring radio show. Now on 88.5 FM, the valley comes alive. And podcasting across iTunes and talkandpower.com.au.